Well, guys, if you if you have your Bibles, let's turn back to Romans 5, Romans 5, 9, as we continue to look at what is so glorious about Jesus is really, you know, when you think about what church is supposed to be doing, this is, uh, you know, of course, what we should be doing every week. But here we're laying out just what does the Bible say when we talk about how great Jesus is? What reasons does the Bible give us? I mean, Peter tells us, uh, and this is sort of our launching point, he tells us to give glory to Christ both now and to the day of, uh, of eternity. Well, what is so glorious about, about Christ? We saw that he is our Lord. We're looking now uh, at what it means that Jesus is our Savior. What does Jesus save us from? Why do we need to be saved? Uh, we just looked at the things that the Bible says. He is coming to save us from blank. Uh, and we looked at how the Bible says he's coming to save us from our sins, uh, that he is coming to save us from our enemies. And now from Romans 5, we see, which is probably the most important thing uh, that Jesus comes to save us from. Jesus comes to save us from the wrath of God. That, that is one of the reasons that, that, that Jesus has come is to save us from God's wrath. And so last week we looked at uh, both the, remember we saw both the positive, sort of the neutral and the negative of the wrath of God in scripture. Positive that God's wrath, and this is something we've got to wrestle with. We don't know sometimes what to do with the wrath of God. It seems like we want to talk about God's wrath as if that's how God was in the Old Testament, but then he's kind of turned over a new leaf and he's a nicer guy now. Uh, almost as if we talk about the wrath of God as if it's something to be embarrassed about or something God is embarrassed about or done away with. We see scripturally, God's wrath is actually praiseworthy. Uh, he tells us to praise him for his wrath, for his, because his wrath, and here's the neutral part of it. Uh, so God's wrath is good. It is, it is holy. It is just. It is praiseworthy. If God were in his sovereignty to have made the earth, allowed us to sin, and then given us all wrath as the payment we deserved, God would have been praised for all eternity by all the angels everywhere. There would have been nothing to hold against God. Uh, and that's important for us to understand so that we can see just how amazing our salvation is. If there's something wrong with wrath, then yeah, God's got to fix it and send Jesus to fix this whole wrath and, and damnation and hell thing. Like that's a, that's a bad story. And so God's got to fix that part. But but really his wrath is praiseworthy. Uh, and, and this is where we get to the neutral part because his wrath always goes against unrighteousness or injustice. Uh, his wrath is never capricious. It isn't just willy-nilly. That's a technical biblical term. Uh, it is not, it doesn't just go wherever. It is always uh, a response in, in impartial justice. But the negative we saw about wrath, so we're like, yeah, wrath is great. It's a, it deals with injustice. The negative is that that wrath is turned toward us because what are we? We are unrighteous. So it would be, it, wrath is praiseworthy. He is a just judge, yay. But then we step back and go, well, who deserves to be judged? Uh, and we realize the Bible says the problem is, and here's the negative side of wrath and why we need to be saved from it, uh, is because that wrath is then directed toward us because we are unrighteous. We are sinners. Uh, and so if it is not for Christ, God's praiseworthy, just wrath would have been poured out on us. And, and so that's where we get sort of the bad news in, uh, if we're talking about salvation is the gospel, it is the good news. Well, in order to have good news, you need to have had bad news. What was the bad news was that we deserve that wrath. Uh, 
uh, the, that wrath was our future, uh, that the, the, a wrath that, you know, would have filled the heavens with praise, a wrath that, uh, proves that God is God, a wrath that in the end is his faithfulness to his creation, um, a wrath that, that God has every reason not to turn from. And the good news is in our salvation, although God could have poured his wrath on all of us and just been praised by the angels for doing it, God in his grace decided not to. Decided to have his wrath, as we're going to see, appeased. To save us from his wrath, even though there was nothing demanding that he do that. There was nothing, uh, there was no imposition on God where he had to not uh, give us justice. Uh, and that's, uh, that's what we're going to look at now. What are we going to do? If wrath is what we deserve, what is our hope? Uh, Romans 5, 9. How is God going to save us from his wrath? Uh, let's stand in the honor of reading God's word. We'll read this passage and then we'll look at uh, really calling this life. There's the, the life is in the blood. Uh, the life is in the blood, and we're going to see how does Jesus save us from the wrath of God. So we know Jesus does save us from the wrath of God, but how does he do that? What's taking place, and, and how does that line up with the justice of God? Romans 5, 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you thanking you uh, that God today... In your grace, uh, we uh, are not awaiting your wrath. Uh, the, the wrath that we deserve has been paid, that we are now just and righteous um, by the work of Christ and his blood. And I pray that we would remember that and that we would cling to him knowing that there's no good in ourselves that would have set us free. Nothing that we could have done uh, and that it is solely by your grace that you have chosen to redeem some uh, instead of giving just wrath to all. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So uh, here we are, uh, the, looking at Romans 5, 9. Uh, only what we're going to see today uh, is looking at the wrath of God. The first thing we're going to see is only Jesus saves us from the wrath of God. Only Jesus is going to save us from the wrath of God. Now, it's not just Romans 5 that tells us that. That we are saved how? We'll be saved from uh, the wrath of God by Him. But this is also a promise, for example, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. For they themselves report concerning uh, the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Same thing, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So if, so if you and I, if we're going to be saved from wrath, the Bible's clear, there's only one way that that happens. We're only saved from wrath through Jesus Christ. Christ. Romans 5, 9, we're saved by him from the wrath of God. 1 Thessalonians uh, 1, 10, he, he is the one, Jesus is the one who delivers us from the wrath to come. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, that we have salvation. Uh, he, we are not destined to wrath, but instead to salvation through Jesus Christ. So 
If, if wrath is not what we're going to get, it's not going to be because you and I save ourselves from it. It's going to be because Jesus has saved us from the wrath of God. But that raises the question, how? How does Jesus save us from the wrath of God? If wrath is good, if wrath is praiseworthy, if wrath is something God doesn't have to fix, right? How does Jesus save us from the wrath? If, if that's what we deserve... How is it that we don't get what we deserve? This is the question of the justice of salvation. That's what we're going to talk about now. The justice of salvation. If, as the Bible says, God's wrath is directed toward unrighteousness, if He uh, is just and must punish sin, then how can you and I, go from under the wrath of God to not under it. How does that happen? How can that be just? If, because if we don't deserve punishment, then why is there wrath? And, and if, if God is just and lets us go, or if, if God just lets us go, if God just lets us go, then where does justice come from? Right? So something's got to be going on. If God is just, He can't just let us go as sinners. His sin has to be paid for. If there was a judge who was on, you know, on the board and this guy had done a heinous thing and he just said, I'm just going to let him go. Why? Because I'm a nice guy. Uh, we would all be like, get that judge off of there. That guy's not a good judge. He's not stopping sin. He's not, sin's not being paid for. If God is just and sin must be paid for, then how is it that we don't get what we deserve. How do we get out of deserving wrath and yet not getting wrath? If we deserve wrath, how do we not end up with it? Well, the answer to that problem, uh, the problem for us of the wrath of God, is going to be one thing. The, the answer is going to be the blood of Jesus Christ. If, if God is a just God who promises to punish every sin ever committed, in all of creation, for all of time, if there will not be a single sin in all of creation that will not meet justice, how do you and I avoid the wrath that we justly deserve? The answer, the blood of Christ. Now, this question of the justice of salvation is actually one that God talks about. God doesn't just wash over and say, I'm God, I do what I want. I'm God, I can do whatever I want to do. In fact, God talks about the justice of what he does in Jesus Christ. Uh, and we see this in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 21, God's going to talk about how sending his son is going to address the problem of sin. And he says, beginning in verse 21, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he'd passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. So what Paul's laying out here is we're all sinners. 
right? And if, and if, and if we're going to be righteous, it's got to come from someone else. In this case, it's got to come, he says, through Jesus Christ to all who believe. In Jesus, he says down in verse 26, in Jesus, God himself is being both just and justifier. So God is making sure, so in the actions of Christ, God is doing the just thing, and he's also doing something that justifies those who are not just. One uh, semi-famous pastor said God uh, broke the, the law for us in, in Jesus. That's not the case at all. In fact, if anything, in Jesus, God keeps the law. God is very just in the person of Christ. In Jesus, God doesn't cast the law aside. Sin is still paid for, but it's through that just payment of sin that God is able to justify the sinner as well. So how is it that we who don't deserve wrath end up, or who deserve wrath, how is it that we end up, uh, instead avoiding that wrath, well, look back at verse 24 and 25 of, of Romans 3 there. Look at, look at how is it that God is both just, that means sin is paid for, and yet we, who are not righteous, are made just. How does that happen? He tells us in, in verse 24 and 25 that we are, uh, we are justified by His grace, that we are made just, that we are made righteous. And here's a, here's a helpful Bible tool. The, the words just and righteous, they all come from the same Greek word. We just as we translate it into English, we just just context makes us have to sort of put a different one contextually. So if you if you were to go through this passage, and I encourage you to do one of the other, and just change all the words that, that say righteous to just, or all the words that say just to righteous, just so you can see he's really repeating the same words over and over. Every time you see the word righteousness, the same word as the word justice. I mean, these are the same things, whatever you do, just to allow you to see that righteousness is justice and 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 justice is rightness. So those things all go, go together. Uh, so we are all sinners. God who is just, God who is righteous, again, same word, must do the just thing, must do the righteous thing, and that is that he must punish sin. Well, we are made righteous, made just, verse uh, 24 says, uh, by grace. In other words, we are not naturally just. We are not naturally righteous. God does that, and how? Do, and He's already told us that we're not righteous in verse twenty-three, when He says, "All of sin and fall short of the glory of God." That's that's where He showed us we're not all just, but we have been made righteous. We have been made just through He tells us the redemptive work of Christ, as He says in verse twenty-five. How did he do this? Jesus is the propitiation. How? By his blood. In other words, Christ is the one. We, we, can, we can talk about later what that word propitiation means, but simply the idea, that Jesus, the idea is that Jesus pays for our sin. He is the one that atones for, for our sin. Uh, Jesus is the one who makes the payment that we deserve. So it is through the blood of Jesus, Paul is saying in Romans that God is able to both righteously not kill us, even though that's what we deserve, and we are able to be made righteous, 
and actually not deserve punishment. That all happens through the blood of Christ. So God is not avoiding, he doesn't just look at us and avoid the question of our sin. He doesn't just look at us and say, all right, we're just not going to talk about your sin. I'm just going to ignore it. Our sin is paid for. It receives the justice that it deserves. It is just that it is received by the blood of Christ. It is paid by Christ's blood instead of ours. It is paid by him instead of us. So that's what we're going to, uh, that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, how is the blood of Jesus the answer to the problem of wrath? How is it that God can be just and our sins can be paid for uh, and yet, and us be made righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ? How does that work? What's going on, in other words, in the cross? How does Jesus dying on the cross save me? Uh, and we'll see that what the Bible talks about uh, the first thing we can see is the blood of Jesus is the just answer to God's wrath. The blood of Jesus is the just answer to God's wrath. Over and over in talking about our salvation, uh, specifically talking about our salvation and the wrath of God that we deserve, when those two are, are normally together, we're saved from wrath. The Bible often picks up again and again this one theme it is by the blood of Jesus. Why does it focus on the blood of Jesus? Why does it say that we'll be saved by his blood? Why, why does it talk about those sorts of things? What is it that the blood of Jesus is doing? We saw this in Romans 5, 9, right? Uh, since therefore we've now been justified, been made righteous by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So we're saved from the wrath of God. How? By his blood. Specifically, we who deserved wrath, it is his blood that makes us righteous where we don't deserve wrath anymore. It is his blood that makes us just where God, if God's wrath is directed toward unrighteousness, as Romans 1.18 tells us that it always is, if God's wrath is directed toward unrighteousness, we're not unrighteous anymore. Because of the blood of Christ. We are made righteous. We are made just. Again, we saw God's wrath. Romans 1.18 tells us God's wrath is not capricious. His wrath is, is, is justice. And it is directed always toward unrighteousness. Always toward injustice. So if we've been made just. If we've been through the blood of Christ made righteous it would actually be wrong of God to punish us. Because God, there is no reason, nothing to punish us for. Because our sins have been paid. This is why, for example, you get in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, a part of 1 John 1, 9, we always skip over, where it says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and what? And just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What John is saying here is, hey, you confess your sins, God's going to be faithful. And the other thing he's going to be is he's going to be just. Because what? Your sins have been paid for. God's not going to be unjust and not forgive your sins. Because your sins have been paid by Christ. Because of the blood of Jesus, to make us just, to make us righteous, it would be unjust of God not to forgive us. And God never does an unjust thing. 
It would be unjust of God to keep his wrath on us, to keep his anger at us, to flare his nostrils. It would be unrighteous to, to not wipe away, as he says, all of our uh, unrighteousness, to cleanse us. He will both forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness, all our injustice. That goes back to the justice of God now because of the blood of Christ, that blood that has made us righteous, that has made us just. We see the same thing in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace, how? By the blood of his cross. How do you and I go from the wrath of God to peace with God, That peace, God says he reconciles all things to himself. How? Through the blood of Jesus. It is through the blood of Christ's cross that you and I are now at peace with God. As as Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2, 12 and 13, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. You're alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So in our former lives, we, those were ones of separation. From God. Remember we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that sin separates us from God. And that's what our former life was, whether Jew or Gentile, really. Here you had Gentiles, though, in Ephesians that would had been separated from Christ. They had no connection with God's chosen people, no connection with God's promises. They had no relationship with God. Well, what changed all that? What changed all that, does Paul say? That's all changed by the blood of Christ. It is the blood of Christ that changes our relationship. Well, why the blood of of Christ. Why does it talk about the blood? And why must we make sure that in the queasiness of our society, we don't allow the church to move away from talking about the blood of Jesus for the payment of our sins? Which is what people want to do. The reason this is important is one, it's in the Bible over and over, so it's obviously important. God doesn't hide it in like some sort of appendix at the end. Uh, this is over and over in Scripture, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Christ, the blood. One of the reasons it's important is because people today will try and say that all Jesus is is just a great example for you to follow. And so Jesus is laying out this example. You try to live like Jesus, that's how you're saved. The more you live like Jesus, the more saved you are. Uh, And and that's not, that is part of what Christ is doing. But Christ is also what? We are saved not by following the example of Christ. Because if it was just about following the example of Christ, God would not be just. Our sins would not have been paid for and they deserve, God, God must pay for all sin. He can't just let sin run rampant in creation. We are saved by the blood of Christ, by the penalty paid that we deserve. And this is why we're going to see in the Bible this thing. Blood appeases wrath. In the Bible, a common theme that you're going to see is blood appeases wrath. You're going to see blood and wrath tied together really all the way from the beginning. And this is interesting. I mean, when you think about the world that we live in, pagans are on to something. 
Pagans are on to something because they, there is a reason that pagan societies, even without scripture, they recognize on the need to shed blood to appease their God. Now, I think, as we're going to talk about, I think that all goes back uh, to Genesis 11 and the Tower of Babylon. I think that all goes back to that. Uh, Because what do we realize? We all realize that sin is a deadly problem. And if sin is going to be paid for, so it's it's ingrained in humanity. I mean, we might deny it sort of intellectually, but we recognize sin, actual sin, and fixing the relationship with God is not something you can just do sort of uh, without, any, without any cost. And, and go back, this idea goes all the way back to the garden. It goes all the way back to the garden, the idea of, of blood and wrath. Uh, the, the Bible has been alluding to the significance of blood since the beginning, tying wrath and blood. The first time blood is mentioned in the Bible... Does anybody know the first time blood's mentioned in the Bible? Jackson does. What is it, Jackson? Cain and Abel. That's halfway right. No, it's all the way right. All right. I hate to admit it, Jackson, but you're correct. Uh, the first time blood's mentioned in the Bible is the story of Cain and Abel, and listen to how wrath is brought up there. So Genesis chapter 4, verses 8 through 16. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now, this is not weeping from the ground. This is not like, <laughs> like, when, like some sort of sibling spat. And you're like, what did you do to your brother? Go say, I'm sorry. This is the blood of of Abel crying out for vengeance. And now, what does he say? Verse 11. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you've driven me today away from the ground uh, and from the face I, I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will what? Will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod. Uh, east of Eden. So Abel's blood here is crying out. It's crying out for vengeance. It's crying out for the wrath of God. And Cain recognizes how blood and wrath are tied together because he says, I'm not just worried about your wrath, God. I'm worried about the wrath of everybody else. And if everybody knows what I've done, what are they going to want to do to me? Uh, Cain basically says, people know it's me. They're going to want to kill me for what I've done. They're going to know what I've done and they're going to want to kill me. God has mercy, oddly, on Cain and, and, and forbids his death. God is going to be the one to execute judgment on him, uh, not, the, not the people at this time. The, the next major mention of the importance of blood is found in the story of Noah. And here again, we're going to see blood brought up in Scripture again. And this time, it's the question of blood and Wrath. This is right after the flood. Right after the flood, Noah and his family get off the ark. And you get here in Genesis 9, this renewal of the garden story. But this time, uh, it's going to be a much bloodier picture. This is a bloodier garden because of sin. Uh, 
but you get this renewal, Genesis 9, 1 through 7. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Right? Just like I told Adam. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you shall be fruitful and multiply, uh, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. So man... And imagine the picture. Notice the change from Eden. Man, who last time was with the animals, uh, was among the animals, naming them, nurturing. That was the relationship of man with animals, looking for a helpmate even among them. I mean, there's this intimate relationship between mankind and animals. I mean, they are the creations of God, and we were the ones tending God's really moving pictures uh, that he had made, his living, breathing creations. That was the relationship between God and man. But sin changed that. When sin came, now all of a sudden, instead of nurturing the animals, now all of a sudden, animals have dread of us. They dread us. Why? Because now, instead of nurturing them and caring for them, now we're going to eat them. Now they are going to be food for us. Uh, He says, you can eat any moving thing. I give you everything. And because of that, there's dread among animals. That's why when people say, how did, how did all the, how did Noah get all the animals on the ark? It's because, well, because they didn't fear him. They listened to him. There's no dread uh, of people. They knew Noah wasn't going to be like, get on the ark, get on the ark, stab. Uh, There was, there was no dread among the animals. So he told them to get on the ark. They trusted him uh, and got on the ark. That's what I would, I think that's probably what happened. Um, Because there was no dread yet. Now though, now God gives us the animals as food. We can eat, he says, any moving thing. He says, I give you everything. There's lots of all here, right? He gives us anything that moves. I give you everything, all, all. But there's one thing you can't do, right? What's the one thing you can't do? Eat its what? Blood. You can't eat the blood. You can kill it. You can eat it. But you just can't eat it with its life in it. And this is going to be a, this is why, this is why we're picking up the idea that, that life being in the blood is a picture that, that God has been painting since the beginning. Uh, and so he says, and notice it's not just animal blood, right? Uh, it's also, you go down uh, at the end of verse five, into verse six and seven, it's not just animal blood that's important. Animal blood actually teaches about a more important blood, the blood of God's image bearers. He says, whoever sheds a man's blood, man will shed that person's blood because that person that was killed wasn't just another creation. That person that was killed was an image bearer of God. Greater than killing an animal, 
This is why it's important for us to, to recognize, no matter what science says, people are not just different forms of animals. Animals are animals. People are people. They're not the same. Uh, and so if you kill an animal, that is different. So when people say, you're not being humane to the animals, I say, what? Let's, let's not use that word because they're not humans. We're not supposed to treat them like humans, but you shouldn't be mean to them. Uh, so the, the, the animals are different from people because what does he say? If you shed their blood, whoever sheds a man's blood, man will shed that person's blood. For, that, for God made man in his own image. That's verse 6, which is again why, why capital punishment is actually a godly and, and a God-honoring practice instituted by God. Because it is showing, uh, capital punishment is showing the great value on human life. So not only does God tell us to do it, he actually says it honors him by doing it. Because when we kill someone who has killed another person, we are showing the, the actual great value of human, of human life. It is actually more pro-life, uh, a capital punishment is more pro-life than not doing capital punishment. Some people don't agree with that. Uh, and and, and it is, this is these regulations that will, he says, then allow the people to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Uh, and of course, do they do that? No, they don't do that. They don't do what God says. They're not fruitful. They're not, they don't multiply and fill the earth. They sort of stay where they are. Uh, and, and, they, and then God has to f- make them forget their languages. And remember, in the Tower of Babylon, flings them across the earth. Uh, and they don't remember what each other said. They're all mixed up. But amazingly, what is, what is something that the people don't forget? There are a couple things that when they're flung across the earth, they might forget their language. But what they didn't forget, one, interestingly, is the flood. There's a reason that the story of the flood is found, uh, their story of a worldwide flood is found in almost every culture worldwide. People go, why was that? Uh, because Genesis 11 and 12 tell us that God flung the people across the globe and they remembered the flood and they kept telling that story even if they landed in North America or landed in Africa or landed in Asia. They kept telling that story. Uh, But the other thing that that everyone remembers is that blood is important. That every, this is is why, you know, you don't go to, you didn't go down to Africa, meet people for the first time there in Africa and find out that their murder is not a big deal, Right? Oh, you guys aren't allowed to murder? I didn't know that was a... We had never read our Bibles, so we didn't know that murder was a big deal. I mean, this is something, this idea of the importance of the blood is a worldwide recognition. Uh, and then, of course, maybe the, the ultimate example of wrath and blood, and this is going to especially tie to the picture of Christ, is the story of the Passover. And this will be the last passage that we look at today, uh, and then we'll finish this up next week. But let's see the importance of blood and wrath. We, we all know this story of the Passover. Uh, God's people, they're about to be freed from Egypt. We've got one last plague. What was the last plague? The death of what? Death of the firstborn. In all the land of Egypt, how are the people... So the wrath of God is coming on the land of Egypt for not letting his people go, for what they've done. Uh, and how is that wrath avoided? It tells us in Exodus chapter 12. So look at what it says. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb, according to his father's house, a lamb for a household, 
And if the household's too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to that which each can eat, you shall make count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Now you jump down to verse 21. Why were they doing this? Uh, Verse 21, this isn't just for food. Uh, It has a purpose. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that's in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. So, on the... On the 10th day of the first month, which I thought was crazy because that's literally when we're preaching this message. Uh, On the 10th day of the first month, I did not bring a lamb or a goat today. In case you're like, how uh, how close are we going to get to this passage? Uh, The people were to get a lamb, uh, a sheep or a goat, uh, and uh, they are to remember what God did for them in the Passover. So they're supposed to remember what's going to happen. And what happened? Well, they killed the lamb. They took its blood. They put it on their doorposts. And as, as the Lord went through uh, and struck those who didn't have the blood on their door frames, if the destroyer saw the blood, he passed over, which is why you get the name Passover, he passed over that house. But again... What do we see avoids the wrath of God? The blood. And that's going to set us up for what Jesus is now going to do uh, in our salvation. This is going to set us up for what John is going to say in John chapter 1. John the Baptist is going to say in the book of John the Apostle, John chapter 1 verse 29, when, when, when John looks out and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We're going to see that it is the blood of Christ that causes, that is the payment for our sin. It is the blood of Christ that uh, causes the wrath of God to pass over us because our sins have been paid for. We are not Egyptians. We are God's just and righteous people. Uh, Let's pray and uh, we'll sing uh, about the the power of this blood in just a second. Let's bow our heads. Fathers, we come to you today and we we celebrate uh, the hope that we have in the blood of Christ. That God, someone's blood was going to be shed for sin. Blood must be shed for sin. It cries out. And so God, it is either, we know, going to be our blood shed for our sin or the blood of Christ. So what great hope that when it could have and should have and would have been us, that you sent a sacrifice for us. You sent a lamb to die on our behalf so that the wrath we deserved, we are saved from by him. So Father, I pray that this week, as we think about what we deserved and we think about our salvation, 
we'll remember that we had no hope of saving ourselves. And that it was only through the blood of your son, only through the blood of that spotless lamb that we're redeemed, that we are made just, that we are made righteous, that we don't find wrath, but instead mercy and grace and love. Thank you, Father. Thank you for what you've done in your son. May we cherish him and may we cherish you. It is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.